0: Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you.
1: You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, Hope, and Clarity in a special repeat performance.
0: Welcome to Afternoons. With me, I'm Bill Arnold, and today uh, I got up in an incredibly good mood. Usually I get up and I'm, I'm in a good mood, but today I was in an incredibly good mood. And that's because I knew at 5 o'clock, among other things, I would have a full hour with Dr. Clint Arnold. No relation. But he has uh, written a number of, of um, evangelical, uh, exegetical commentaries on the New Testament and he's written a volume on Ephesians and last time he was on I was talking to him about it and I said I would love for you to come on and talk about Ephesians. So what did I do, a uh, radio host, I went and bought his book. Now when you have to understand when you're host a radio show on Christian radio, people send you books all the time. You get free books. You don't buy books. <laughs> people send you books. But I was so excited to get his book. I went and bought it and I started reading it and it was a page-turner thriller. Uh, because I've been uh, memorizing the book of Ephesians, uh, and so for me to get his commentary on Ephesians, it was thrilling. So I'm so glad to have him on today to talk about Ephesians. He's the dean of, uh, at Talbot School of Theology at Biola University, and I'm so glad to have him back. Clint, how are you?
2: Hey, Bill. I'm doing great. It's so good to be with you again.
0: Oh, no kidding. I was so excited when I knew it was your day to be on the show.
2: I was looking forward to this time as well. It's always so much fun to talk about Ephesians.
0: So literally, I went and bought your book, and I encourage everyone to do it because it's so good. And I I was telling my station manager, Neil Stavem, when I was uh, talking to him last week, I said, I feel like I'm learning about Ephesians all over again or like I never learned it in the first place.
2: You couldn't say something that was more encouraging to an author of a commentary than what you just said. So thank you for your kind and gracious comments. You know, I just uh, I love the text of Ephesians. Uh, I've spent so much time in it, and I never get tired of it. It's just so rich and wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've had a constant drive. I mean, it's I guess it's the way the Lord has wired me. I've always wanted to get behind the scenes what was going on in the first century? What was going yes. happening in all these communities, and and always trying to dive deeper into uh, the historical, cultural context is is just wonderful.
0: Mm-hmm. So when we, I want to start painting just a little bit of a backdrop of, of Paul. I mean, he it's eighty sixty sixty one, right? He's, um, yeah, in Ephesus and. And he wants, to give, he wants to give new believers who've been recently converted from a background in Judaism. And also, there's also all kinds of other weird astrology and magic and all kinds of weird stuff right, going on in Ephesus. And he has to help kind of navigate through all of that.
2: Yeah, he's he's trying to address some things there that uh, uh, were problems when he ministered there. So he was there for three years uh, in uh, Acts 19, talks about that, probably around uh, the early to mid-50s. And now he's in prison in Rome, and he's got word about stuff going on there. And, but one of the greatest things that he's got word about is that there's just been a lot of people that have become Christians. He said, I've heard about your faith and your love. And uh, he lived there three years. He, I mean, he knew it firsthand, but there's just been so many that have become believers now that uh, he's wanting to address them and some of their concerns.
0: Mm-hmm. Clint, uh, talk about Ephesus. Was it more like Santa Barbara or was it more like Oakland?
2: Wow! Yeah, that, you know Santa Barbara a little bit here. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's, it's it was a fascinating place, and I think one of the things that we always have to remember in reading the New Testament is it was a different time and a different age. I mean, and it, with respect to the kinds of things that we're concerned about in the book of Ephesians, uh, everyone back then believed in the reality of. Of spirits mm-hmm. uh, that wasn't even questioned. The question was what to do about them and so we know from reading Acts nineteen that when Paul preached the gospel there, there were people who held on to their former beliefs, and there were a lot of people who were trafficking in what they called magic, mm-hmm. and it was occultism. And, and there's this dramatic episode in Acts 19 in his ministry there in Ephesus when uh, after a failed exorcism by Skeva and his sons, a great fear came over the place and all these people brought their magical texts, put them in a big pile and burned them. Uh, The crazy thing was, these were Christians that had brought their magical texts out and burned them. Wow. In other words, they hadn't repented of that. They Mm -hmm. were still practicing it as believers. And, And yet, God sovereignly intervenes to deal with that situation.
0: Yeah. I'm going to want to bring up Artemis at some point. This is a significant part of what was going on in Ephesus.
2: Yeah. Artemis was a a goddess it was she was the main goddess of the city in fact she had a covenant bond with the city of Ephesus and so she looms over everything
0: so when i mean there there are craftsmen and, and people that build little statues of artemis i mean this is a this is a cottage industry
2: it's a huge huge industry and artemis of Ephesus was worshiped around the world i mean uh, there, were, she was just widely, widely known uh, for her, but she had this special relationship with uh, Ephesus. The one thing that's interesting about her is she's different than the Greek Artemis. You, you can go online and look at pictures of Greek Artemis, and she's got these beautiful flowing robes and a feminine figure and everything. But the Ephesian Artemis was this rigid, upright figure with all of this ornamentation on her and the skirt that she's wearing around her uh, 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 around most of her body has depictions of little animals on it but they're ghoulish creatures they're 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 frightening looking and they're pinned up in a posture of surrender to the goddess and those represent different kinds of spirits over whom she had sovereignty and had sway And around her neck were the actual signs of the Zodiac. So you have the Cancer, the Crab, the Gemini, and all of the different signs of the Zodiac. So for people who worshipped Artemis and bowed down and looked up at her image, they were worshipping a goddess that they thought had power over spirits in the stars and spirits in wildlife and nature and and that wow. was their solution to this problem. And so the question for Christians comes in then, okay, I've, I've prayed the sinner's prayer, I'm a Christian now. Spirits are still real, but what difference does Christ make in my life?
0: Yeah, I mean, that, doesn't, that switch doesn't get flipped overnight, does it?
2: No, precisely. And so for, for a lot of the believers then, as we see in Acts 19— They just thought, fine and dandy, I'm a a believer now, but I've still got to deal with this stuff. So I will continue to uh, consult with shamans, consult with magicians, practice magic, because that's got to get me through Monday through Saturday.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and the Temple of Artemis uh, is considered by ancient writers as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world.
2: It is. It was. Uh, we're all familiar with the Parthenon in Athens, mm-hmm. and, and, and we've seen pictures of the amazing size and grandeur of that uh, temple. Well, the Temple of Artemis was even bigger. It was larger, more grand, it's spectacular. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, nothing is left of it. So, I mean, we've got one solitary column that's been rebuilt. So, we don't. We can't go there today and get a sense of it like we can in Athens, but it was a big deal.
0: Mm-hmm. So when Paul starts his church in Ephesus, Clint, he is gets a significant amount of help from a particular Jewish-Christian couple from Rome.
2: Yes, Priscilla and Aquila. Uh, they are just a marvelous couple. I, I hope the Lord and His sovereignty, when we go to heaven... We can get the full story of everything they were involved (laughs) in, because they were like the quiet, faithful, amazing couple that stood behind so much of Paul's ministry. He meets them in Corinth uh, just a year or two earlier, because they got kicked out of Rome because they were Jews, and Claudius was expelling all the Jews from Rome, and so they had to get out of town. They moved to Corinth. Paul meets up with them and says, hey, by the way, guys, I'm going over to Ephesus, would you go with me? And and and, and so they go with him, and they were instrumental in helping Paul establish the church in Ephesus. Mm-hmm.
0: So, Clint, when we um, think of these new believers, and they've come from a background of goddess worship and, and magical practices and all these other crazy things, and they're now trying to uh, live a different life, and... Paul is trying to get these home churches going, not to mention I think there is a fair amount of tension between the Jews and the Gentiles, wasn't there?
2: Yes, there was. And so we see that throughout the Roman Empire at this time. I just mentioned the fact that Claudius, the Roman emperor, uh, in A.D. 49, just a few years earlier, had kicked all the Jews out of Rome. Uh, But we have evidence in other ancient sources of extraordinary hostilities and anti-Semitism at uh, various pockets, like in Alexandria, Egypt, Antioch, and Syria. But it was also present in Ephesus as well. There was a hostility to the Jewish people by the local Gentiles. And of course, with a lot of Gentiles becoming Christians and joining the church, which has Jewish roots, Paul got it started there by preaching first in the synagogues. Uh, it's rife for uh, some kinds of tension there. And so one of the themes that Paul deals with is, hey, how do we get along in one body in Christ? And how do we think of ourselves now that we're believers and yet different ethnicities, different backgrounds, how do we get along together in the body of Christ? That's a major issue.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. So... I've got all kinds of questions for you, and I think what we'll do is uh, come back when I want to ask um, about the uh, continue to ask some questions about the um, influx of Gentiles into the Ephesians house households, and I also um, want to continue. Maybe we go through a chapter or something as we as we talk about uh, your beautifully laid out commentary. It's called Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And Dr. Clint Arnold is my guest. We'll be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill Podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting myfaithradio.com.
1: You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold, Faith, Hope, and Clarity in a special repeat performance.
0: So glad to have Dr. Clint Arnold as my guest today. He's the Dean of Talbot School of Theology at Biola University and Professor of New Testament Language and Literature. So, uh, Clint, right before I went to break, I was thinking about something I read in your book regarding uh, the people from uh, Ephesus who were coming out of goddess worship and magical practices. And and because, you say in your book, because of their immoral pre-Christian lifestyle, they need help and admonishment in cultivating a lifestyle consistent with their salvation in Christ, a lifestyle free from drunkenness, sexual immorality, lying, stealing, bitterness, and many other vices. My question to you, has anything changed?
2: (laughs) That's a good question. You know, we are very different than people living in the first century, but we're also very similar because we share a common humanity that's been bent by the infusion of sin into the world. So Satan has not got very creative and inventing a whole new set of sins it's the same old stuff it really is so it makes the the text as relevant now as it was then yeah
0: clint was uh paul unique in writing this letter did he get any help from timothy or from philemon on this one
2: yeah, you know, this one is a little different. Some of them say Paul and Timothy to the Church. Uh, this one just begins by saying Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus to the saints who are in Ephesus. And uh, it's possible that he may have got some help, but normally he attributes, you know, to Timothy or Sil- uh, Silas, uh, you know, that that co-authorship, so to speak.
0: Mm-hmm. But not here. Yeah. Uh, Clint, when it says in uh 1 uh, chapter 1 verse 3 praise to praise be to the god and father of our lord jesus christ what, what what would that greeting uh mean to the people in ephesus what what would they be hearing when when paul would say that
2: yeah there's a number of things that would come out of that i i think one of the things that's that's uh shocking is the close association of jesus christ with god the father Uh, one in the same breath. He says the same thing there. Uh, So for Jews uh, who have become followers of Jesus, there's a realization now that their monotheism now needs to be understood in light of the fact that there's a triune God, that Jesus of Nazareth was really... What we would call now the second person of the Trinity—that God is a complex being—and uh, and He is uh, triune this way. Um, the blessing is really interesting. Uh, the, the, the praise be to the God and Father of Lord Jesus Christ, or blessed be. Some of the translations take it that way. Uh, this whole passage of uh, in the beginning of chapter one is one of blessing and praise and giving glory to God. It's rich in theology, but it sings. It is a a passage where it seems like whenever you go deep in theology, the natural response is one of worship and gratitude to the God of uh, the, the great God that we worship for all that He's done.
0: Mm-hmm. So I love this verse, and it says He has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. How do we understand that, Clint?
2: yeah the uh the various spiritual blessings that we received first of and foremost is the fact that we've had our sins forgiven, uh, and that truly is a spiritual blessing. The power of sin is the ultimate enemy. I know last time I was on your show, we talked about spiritual warfare in the demonic realm mm-hmm. they're enemies, but the real ultimate enemy is the power of sin, and the the death of Jesus by his blood on the cross is what satisfies that problem and deals with it once and for all and forever. That's the greatest spiritual blessing. But we're also, as Paul will tell us in Ephesians 2, we're also co resurrected and co exalted with God, and we're seated with him, with Christ at the right hand of God. That's an incredible spiritual blessing that shows us our union with Christ and what that means in relationship to the uh, supernatural realm mm-hmm. that we share in Christ's power and authority over that realm because we're so closely identified with Christ.
0: Mhm. Before I ask the next question, I want to interject a question a listener asked about the uh, liberal theologians who are disputing the authorship of Ephesians by Paul. Have you heard this,
2: Clint? Oh, oh yeah, no, I've had to interact with that greatly. Okay. I- I actually did um, uh, doctoral work on Ephesians in a secular context in the U.K., and so this was an issue I had to grapple with uh, extensively, and uh, it may come as a surprise to people that that's even questioned, because the, the book begins, Paul, an mm-hmm. apostle of Christ Jesus through the will of God, and there's other places where he refers to himself that way uh, by, by his name, But secular scholarship, uh, higher critical scholarship, has looked at the contents of the letter and have thought, wow, this is a little different than anything that we could imagine Paul having written. And what they emphasize is what they call uh, this exalted Christology, the way Christ is viewed as high above principalities and powers and authorities – And the emphasis in the letter on the fact that we are co-exalted with Christ and share in all these resources. Well, I think that's not a stumbling block at all. It's a reference to the fact that Paul is being very pastoral in addressing the situation that they exactly needed to hear. That uh, they're in a context where Artemis worship and all of this magic and stuff is going on. They needed to know that Christ is superior, that Christ is superior to that realm, and that they share in Christ's power and authority now over that realm. It's it's not something different than Paul would have said. It's just this occasion brought it out.
0: Mm. That's so interesting. Um, thank you for telling us that. And let's go back to uh, chapter 1. And I want to invite any listener that may have a particular verse in Ephesians that maybe you have always wanted to have learn more about. You can certainly uh, text me that. Time permitting, I can get it to Dr. Kent Arnold. Uh, He's written a a commentary called Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. But if I go back to verse 4, and it says, He chose us in Him before the creation of the world. Now, Paul's teaching here, um, is he speaking about the the reality for these for the believers in Asia
2: Yes he's speaking uh, to them directly okay. that uh, God has chosen them um, that this is not some kind of afterthought but God had them in his mind before the foundation of the world and he has chosen them to be his very own and to belong to him Now here's the kicker as it relates to these people in Ephesus, Astrology was a big deal. They thought that their future was wrapped up in the stars and the movement of the stars. In fact, they saw spirits and gods as animating the heavens and that that had an impact on one's future and destiny. It would have come as a shock to them in Ephesus to find out, no, actually, the one living and true God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ before the foundation of the world, before any of the stars were created, chose us in him at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is an amazing uh, emphasis on the sovereignty of God, on his superiority mm. to all of creation that they would have just exalted in.
0: And Clint, they really uh, needed to hear that, didn't they?
2: Boy, they sure did. Yeah. Because the drive to return to their old religions would have been very strong. There would have been family pressures. Oh, yeah. Hey, why'd you guys leave our temple? And why why are you taking our grandkids out of the temple and all of this sort of stuff? Uh, you know, there's, there's going to be so much that, bad that could happen to you as a result of that. So knowing that the God they now worship is superior to all of that would have been so comforting and so encouraging.
0: Mm -hmm. What about the Artemis statue-building craft? That must have taken a hit.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, Luke tells us in Acts 19 that uh, the sales on those things went (laughs) way down. (laughs) It's really, really hilarious. Yeah, that's where they invented the buy one, get one free. (laughs) Yeah, but interestingly, in spite of the fact that Artemis was the primary deity that was worshipped there, there were at least 50 other gods and goddesses that we know about that were worshipped in that city. And they could worship multiple gods simultaneously.
0: That's nuts. Dr. Clint Arnold is my guest. We're going to continue talking about Ephesians. If it's not one of your favorite books, it is is mine, so I will uh, let you know that we are going to continue to talk about Ephesians. His book is a commentary. It's brilliant. And it's called Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. All next.
1: listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold, Faith, Hope, and Clarity in a special repeat
2: performance.
0: My guest is Dr. Clint Arnold, Dean of Talbot School of Theology at Biola. We are not cousins, but if he was my cousin, I would be parked next to him at the family picnics. And I would be bugging you the whole time. You'd be trying, after one of these reunions, you'd be trying to avoid me.
2: (laughs) It sounds awfully fun though. I never get tired of talking about Ephesians. Oh, good.
0: Yeah. So let me jump ahead just a little bit, because I love Ephesians one thirteen. You were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Talk about the significance Mm -hmm. of seals and how important this is that God has sent the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance?
2: Oh, it's such a beautiful image. And it's lost on us a little bit because we don't use seal in the same way anymore. But a seal in the ancient world was a sign of ownership. It was... uh, you know, it could be done in a variety of ways, but a piece of property marked with a seal of some sort indicated to anyone else that this belongs to this person. And so, What Paul is trying to do here is saying, hey, you are marked now, you belong, you are the property of the one living and true God. Uh, And this transpired when you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and received his forgiveness of sin. And that seal is the promise of the Holy Spirit um, that came as a promise uh, that God had promised that he would send his spirit. In this way. And so there's a real cool sense in which, in the supernatural realm, a believer having the Holy Spirit of God, it's evident to the evil supernatural realm hey, this is God's property, mm-hmm. hands off. And and then it, uh, so it's a great sign of uh, possession and ownership. Uh, in fact, the words wording goes on there until the redemption of God's possession. And when we talk about demon possession, here is an instance of uh, the Bible talking about God's possession. Uh, we belong to God. We are his property. We are his possession. And that's Exactly what the language of Scripture says right there.
0: Mm-hmm. So, Clint, when I hear the word God, I hear the word ownership, and I heard hear the word seal and deposit. I'm guessing God will never lose His deposit.
2: Well, I think it's uh, stronger than a guess, <laughs> and I'm sure it is for you too. Oh yeah! Uh, this is such an incredible assurance to believers that hey, we enter a genuine, authentic relationship with Christ, we receive the Spirit, we are His forever.
0: Mm -hmm. It's interesting, Clint, that Paul's heart is for these wonderful, dear people, that their knowledge would increase. Not that they'd get a a better house or uh, their kids would get into the right school. It was that their knowledge of God would increase.
2: Yeah, and that comes up a lot in all of his letters, constantly trying to help them understand more deeply who Jesus is, who the God that they're serving is, and what it means to uh, be members of the kingdom of God. And this becomes a very strong theme later in Ephesians chapter 4 when it talks about equipping the saints for the building up of the body until we attain to the unity of faith and knowledge of the son of God, knowing Christ is, should be our, our, our uh, an incredible passion for all, every believer, the knowledge of the son of God. And part of that is the passage in Ephesians four goes on is so that we're not tossed around by the waves and carried around by every wind of teaching. Um, And that's so relevant for us today. Mm -hmm.
0: And I love uh, chapter 118, the eyes of your heart. I I think that's, you actually point out that that's a little bit of a a humorous metaphor in as much as hearts do not have eyes.
2: (laughs) It sure is. And I've done some historical research on that. That's the first time that that imagery is ever used in Greek literature. Wow. So Paul came up with that idea. Uh, that's his idea. Uh, there, eyes of your heart, your heart being the seat of where you make your decisions, your emotions, and everything. That your eyes uh, of your heart might be illuminated. I love that. Mm-hmm.
0: And you put a beautiful reflection in your um, study guide or your your um, um, book Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Dr. Clint Arnold is my guest. And you say, when God looks at you, he does not shrink back in horror and disgust. Mm -hmm. He sees a person of inestimable value and beauty. He loves you so much that he gave the costliest gift imaginable to obtain you as his own glorious inheritance. You will be his cherished son or daughter forever.
2: Amen. What a wonderful, wonderful thought that is. And I've that's been far more than just a theoretical thing for me. I think in my ministry here over the years, one of the things that I've enjoyed so much is praying with with people, praying with um students. And you know, s- students get caught up in sinful behaviors and all of a sudden the evil one is trying to tell them, "Hey, God's going to give up on you. Uh, you know, he's he's done. He's had it. He's he's fed up with your sinfulness." and uh, to assure them that, no, the Lord's not done with you. He loves you. He cherishes you. He wants you to know that in the deepest recesses of your soul. He doesn't ignore your sin. He wants you to deal with it, but you belong to Him. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, Clint, in the first chapter of Ephesians, Paul prays for the, the Ephesians, and he makes some pretty specific requests, three to be uh, specific. Would you talk about those specific requests that Paul reports for when he's praying for the Ephesians?
2: Yeah. I mean, he's, this is an intercessory prayer for these people where he says, I didn't just, he's not saying I just prayed this one time. He says, this is what I'm regularly praying for. And there, what's the hope of your calling the wealth of your glory, his glorious inheritance in the saints and the g- incredible greatness of his power for us who believe. The first one, the hope, is we have a future. We have a future that is certain and sure. And people living in the first century, they weren't sure what was going to happen. They thought they would go down into the underworld and it would be a dark gloomy existence and but no, there's, an, there's an, a, a hope that is certain and sure, and you are called into that. The second one, to know the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints. A lot of us read this a little too quickly and think, it, oh, he's praying that I would understand the inheritance that I'm going to receive. No, it's exactly the opposite here. He's praying that they would come to know that God views them as his own inheritance in other words that god cherishes and values you so much that he and he looks upon you he sees you as his own inheritance and that's an amazing thought that god would think that highly of us and then finally he prays that you might know the incredible greatness of his power Mm. for us who believe um and for this is so relevant for the people in Ephesus because of all the competing gods, okay, Artemis is supposed to be something really special here and protect us and everything else. He need, they need to know No, uh, the Lord Jesus is far superior, far superior uh, to Artemis or any other, uh, any other god, goddess, spirit, principality, power, authority. No comparison. It's off the table. Mm-hmm. But it needs to be spiritually imparted, because it's hard from a lifetime of assuming a lot of different things about spiritual realities to all of a sudden change change my belief structure now.
0: Mm-hmm. Dr. Clint Arnold is my guest, and if he was my cousin, he'd be by far my smartest cousin. Uh, <laughs> We're talking about his commentary, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon... And let me just read this uh, verse out of chapter 1, and I want you to respond, because th- this to me is so amazing. In, in verse 19 it says, And his in- incomparably great power for us who believe, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Just that verse alone, That are, are you telling me, Dr. Clint Arnold, that this power that's in us, is the same power that was used to raise Christ from the dead?
2: That's what the words say. It's, it, it is amazing. It's oh. amazing what he is trying to say there. But we are only scratching the surface of what's possible for a believer in union with Christ. And to know uh, the power of his resurrection working in and through us, can accomplish so much. We think we are trapped in a pattern of sinful behavior. No, there is a hope. There is a way of escape. Uh, God has imparted resurrection power to us to conquer something that seems utterly inconquerable. Uh, This is is so amazing, Mm -hmm. so incredible. And we're just beginning, I think, to scratch the surface.
0: Yeah, in in chapter 1, in verse 22, it says, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Uh, what is it? What would the people of Ephesus be understanding when Paul says, And God placed all things under his feet? What would that, What would that have meant to them?
2: Yeah, Paul is uh, citing a passage of the Old Testament there, Psalm 110, verse 1. It's quoted more than any other passage in the entire Old Testament. And it talks about Christ's uh, defeat over all his enemies, of every kind. Everything has been subjected under him. And now he is Lord of the Church, or head over the Church, and it describes it as his body. So we are Christ's presence here on earth now, and he fills us with his Spirit, with his power, with his uh, strengthening touch and everything. And it's our uh, duty to carry on the mission that he was Engaged in when he was here in his three year earthly ministry. Mm -hmm. And so the passage uses this language. He's the fullness of the one who fills everything in all places. He's filling his church to carry on his ministry, and that extends all over the globe. So far beyond the land of Israel, it goes uh, to the uttermost parts of the earth now, Mm -hmm. uh, filling it. That filling is likely a reference to taking the gospel everywhere. Planning churches, and mediating Christ's presence worldwide. That's our mission until He comes back.
0: Mm-hmm. When we were talking about the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope, uh, a question came in, is heart here synonymous with soul or psyche?
2: Mm, that's a very good question. Is heart synonymous with soul or psyche? Heart is an, a metaphor that was common in the Old Testament in the Hebrew Bible. It's common in the New Testament for the inner, uh, the innermost being of a person, where decisions are made, where things are felt, uh, and 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 where things are processed, and so. Yeah, in a sense, it it it's very very much overlaps with the soul. There, it's the core of who we are. Uh, what what strikes me about this is, and I bring it up to students in the seminary context because sometimes people say, "Ah, oh, semin- seminary cemetery." You know, <laughs> students go in and study, and they 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 lose their passion for Christ, and that's not right because what we what we need to do is studying scripture can become a a dead and dull thing so i encourage students and a lot of our, all of our faculty do uh, anytime we study scripture we invite the spirit's presence because it's the spirit that has to take the words and transfer them from our head to our heart Mm. uh, and pressing them deeply on our souls so that there's a transformative impact that's taking place.
0: I appreciate you saying that uh, because I walk into a radio studio five days a week and I have that same feeling that I want what is being said. I want to rightly handle the word of truth and I want to communicate as clearly as possible. So I appreciate you saying that yeah so let me just step aside for a minute. Dr. Clint Arnold is my guest, and when I come back, I want to ask you a couple of questions about the first several verses in Ephesians chapter two that's all next.
1: Thanks so much for listening to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Hey, I'm Suzy Larson. If you enjoy what you're finding here, consider subscribing to some of our other Faith Radio podcasts, like mine, for instance. You can search Suzy Larson Live at MyFaithRadio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hit subscribe and have a great day. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance.
0: If you like Ephesians, you've come to the right place. Today, this hour, Bill Arnold talking to Clint Arnold. No relation. But I wish he was, my cousin, because he's amazing. So, he's written a commentary, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. I have purchased it, and I love it. I bought it on Kindle, which uh, is a little bit of a nicer price. But if you... uh, Like Kindle, it's a great add-on. You can do it today. So let's just look at a number of verses in the second chapter, if we can, Clint, because I think Paul's really laying it out here. He says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air the Spirit, who is now at work in those who are disobedient. That's pretty clear
2: yeah it seems it seems very clear um and you were you, you were dead in those transgressions and sins i think what's interesting to me here is this is one of the few places in paul's writings where he brings these three different influences together and in some ways represents it like a three-stranded rope or cord that binds people into a uh, a situation that they're unable to free themselves of. So he talks about essentially the world, the flesh, and the devil mm-hmm. in this. And and these three work in concert with one another. And it's a healthy way, I think, of thinking about uh, the nature of our struggle Um we we can come up and with sinful thoughts and angry thoughts and lustful thoughts all on our own because of the principle of the flesh living within us. We're bent from the presence of sin in us, and that Paul refers to that as the flesh. We're also influenced by peer pressures, by ideologies, by things in the culture, things in the air that we're hearing on cable TV or anywhere that come in and and pressure us to think and act in certain ways. And if that weren't enough, (laughs) there's this supernatural thing going on with the spirit who now powerfully works among people, this uh, demonic spirit. Um, The three of them work very closely together in this way.
0: So Clint, when we look at the uh, verse Uh, two of chapter two he talks about the ways of this world you know this is what 60 or 61 ad it could very likely just be 2021
2: it could it it very
0: much could yeah i mean you talk Um, about the, the corruption of sin and the influence it has on people and throughout all of history there it is the ways of this world
2: yeah, and, and you know, I, you guys are out there in the Midwest, but I'm living here in Southern California. This is Ephesus today. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, this is there's so much going on here, where it's a hub and beehive of so much activity, influence like this. And I think I think that's. Uh, Uh, You know, just a a crazy sense of where we're at today. Now, what's fascinating is the emperor, uh, when Paul is writing this, the ruler of the Roman Empire, is a guy named Nero. And if Paul is writing in 61, or thereabouts, when he writes this letter, three years from now, uh, from 61, Rome will burn, and the Christians will get blamed for it, and there will be a horrible persecution. Uh, the historian Tacitus tells us about this horrible thing where they're, they're burned in fire and ravaged, and it, it's really crazy. Mm-hmm.
0: When I was reading verse 3 in chapter 2, Paul says, "...all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts." And it sounds like uh, that is all behind people now, which we all know isn't necessarily the case. But how would you help us to understand that verse better?
2: Yeah, that was their primary orientation, their primary way of living. Now they have uh, they have become followers of Jesus Christ. They are now uh, separated from their temples and so on, and they are living in a Christian. In, in, in the Christian community here, uh, what that doesn't mean is that they're now free from any struggle at all with sin. And what makes that clear is we just read Ephesians <laughs> chapter 4 and 5, and we see that uh, these people are still struggling with a whole lot of stuff. And I think you went through a list earlier of anger and and, and sexual immorality and all these sorts of things that were characteristic of their lives before But their primary allegiance and their primary orientation now is no longer focused on a lifestyle apart from Christ. Mm. But Christ has become the primary focus and allegiance in their life, and they have made him Lord. Yeah,
0: Paul makes it very clear. At one point, we were deserving of wrath, but now we're being made alive in Christ. Explain to everyone what that means. I know we've got people from all different places of their journey in their, in their faith. And for people who have been Christians for 50 years, they know exactly what that means. But maybe some, someone who's been following the Lord, maybe for a short amount of time, isn't quite sure what that means.
2: Yeah, it's a sobering verse to read, chapter 2, verse 3, where it says we were by nature children of wrath. Uh, that's a way of saying that we're destined for wrath because of our sin. Um, the good news that Paul will uh, talk about in verses 4 to 6 is that God has, uh, has forgiven our sins based on our identification with Christ on the cross, so we are no longer subject to wrath. We once were under wrath and faced that as a future outcome, but no longer We have a wonderful and glorious future with him. And this is the hope uh, that was discussed as Paul's prayer request in Ephesians chapter 1 in the prayer. This is part of that great hope that uh, we no longer suffer wrath.
0: Mm -hmm. Just a couple minutes left, Clint. So maybe why is Paul so interested in having unity between the Jewish and the Gentiles?
2: There's tension in the church just because of the social uh, climate. Uh, so they've they've come into the church. They're accustomed to having this racial tension and difficulty. And Paul wants a unified body that's reflective of the unity that, uh, that he's called us to. It's reflective of the unity that he has with the Father and with the Spirit. And he wants a unified church, whether it's Jew or Gentile, uh Scythian or barbarian slave or free he wants a unified he wants a unified church and the good news is that it's possible it's possible based on uh, the work that Christ has done on our behalf and the power that he mediates to us to overcome the racial tensions that are present in the body of Christ what an incredibly relevant, teaching for us right now in our country.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, Clint, I know we sort of focused a lot on chapter 1 and a little bit on chapter 2, but before I let you go, um, because we've only got about a minute and a half left, is there a particular verse in the book of Ephesians that you just, you just particularly love?
2: You know, I have to say that uh, one of my favorites in Ephesians is chapter 2, verse 13. Now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. What a beautiful picture that is of God's mercy and love through the Lord Jesus Christ, once far away, now near. Our situation now as believers is that we are near to the heart of God. We are near to Christ. We are near to the Father because of the blood of Christ.
0: Yeah, and just two verses earlier, it talks about male circumcision, and I'm sorry, but we're out of time, so we can't address <laughs> we can't address that one today. But thank you so much, Clint. I, I have so much uh, admiration for your work, and you're a brilliant communicator, and you're so nice to come on the show and talk about Ephesians today.
2: Oh, it's an utter delight for me to be able to reflect on Ephesians. What a what an awesome book it is, yeah. and in God's grace.
0: Well, thanks again, and I would love to have you back. I hope you can uh, come back again and be a guest on the show.
2: That sounds great, Bill.
0: Thank you. Terrific. Thank you so much. Dr. Clint Arnold has been my guest. If you missed any of this, I know if you like the book of Ephesians, you're going to want to go to the podcast and hear it from the beginning. His book is Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. Great, great study. That wraps up our show for the day and for the week. Thank you for supporting Faith Radio. See you next week.